0: How does Santa's accountant value his sleigh?
1: Oh, wow. H- how?
0: The net present value.
1: <laughs> Boom. <Blue. laughs> I love that. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I love accounting jokes, and this definitely comes out of the top of my list. I love it.
0: This week, we're talking to my old friend and Wonderkind entrepreneur, Jess Mann. Jess launched InBinero, an accounting software startup 11 years ago, from her dorm room. And unlike most of my mainly sober undergraduate ventures, Jess's company had staying power. They raised funding, hired a ton of actual accountants onto their staff, and have grown a lot. It wasn't always easy. In fact, Jess is pretty honest about the rough bits, but she pushed through. And today, Indonero is an undeniable force in the industry, with clients like Pinterest and Slack. I asked Jess what it was like to literally grow up while running a company the unexpected benefits of it, and the lessons she learned along the way. Also, she's a financial genius and played ball when I asked her to break down all the accounting terms most of us pretend to understand but don't. Plus, COVID financial planning and so much more. One, two, I wanted to ask you, about the beginnings of Indonero. So I know you started this coming out of college, out of your dorm room. Walk me through how you could start this company. I mean, what experience did you have? How did you know there were problems in the industry? How did it work?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I started Indonero 10 years ago now, which is mind-boggling to think about, right after college. And I studied computer science in college, No prior background in accounting, but I had started other businesses in college, in high school, and I just thought that accounting and business taxes were utterly painful, Mm -hmm. just so annoying to deal with. I felt like so many accountants were really old school, no technology, no real best practices, doing a lot of their work manually, and I also felt as a business owner working with accountants getting the insights into my business that I needed. I was getting books done. I wasn't getting insights into how to run a better business and what are the pitfalls to look for. And you know, I was looking for more of a strategic partner in my accountant, not just a number cruncher accountant. And I thought software could do a lot better of a job doing a lot of that. I was a little cocky at first. I thought software could just automate the accountant's profession.
0: What was really hard at getting started?
1: There are so many challenges with getting started. I mean, at first, we had to figure out the tech challenges of downloading your bank statement and credit card statement information automatically. And in 2010, most of the banks did not have APIs, and they didn't have a way for you to export data in an elegant Mm -hmm. manner. So we were getting PDF statements, and we'd have to figure out how to transcribe that, and we were doing screen scraping. I mean, these were the early days of... FinTech. I remember those days. Oh my God. I mean, it's, it was not that long ago. No, nope. Now that's not a big challenge, but yeah, we got to get over those early hurdles. The first few years it
0: says that, you know, your mission is to provide value to every business in the world. So what, what exactly do you mean by that?
1: You know, a lot of these small businesses, they are going off gut feel. They're working off of financials from an accountant or a bookkeeper, but they don't Uh, have someone like an experienced CFO or operator of a company tell them what they could do better or differently. And so our goal is to help businesses uh, have better insights into their operations, into their business, how they're doing to prevent a lot of the pitfalls and mistakes that I've had with running my businesses and provide that value that you're not going to get from a bookkeeper.
0: What's your sweet spot for clients? When is a client ready to work with in Niro? And is there a point when they're, they need to kind of grow out of working with you? I mean, you mentioned Slack and Pinterest before, you know, so there must be some point.
1: We work with companies as small as one or two employees. So they can be really small. And so our prerequisite is you got to be incorporated have online banking and credit card access set up. Uh, we've been really working to prolong our lifespan with the customer. The problem with a lot of bookkeepers, including the early version of In was that we would be outgrown as soon as you hit like 40 or 50 employees and you then you need to hire a full-time accountant because the sophistication was just too high. And the problem with that is that it drove customers nuts It's so much work to have to offload from one accounting solution onto another and bring on new team members to wrap their mind around the business. So my goal from, I'd say, 2015 to 2018, I worked really hard to figure out how do we handle companies all the way until they're even pre-public. Now the problem is we have customers outgrowing us when they're thinking about going public soon or when they're, you know using their $300 million mega growth rounds. We're trying to fix for that now. Yeah. So we're looking at actually doing an acquisition to bring on an entity that works with companies that are already public even. Wow.
0: So how did you meet your co-founders?
1: What was the early team like? Yeah, the early team was mostly other computer scientists at UC Berkeley. We didn't have an accountant on our staff at that point. We we're working with a bunch of accountants as our partners who we would wait, partner wait. up so, with to so of work So you to. started
0: an accounting company, but there's no accountants on your staff.
1: That is so correct.
0: How, I mean, how did you even know what to do first?
1: I mean, candidly, it was really tough. We had to interview a ton of accountants, and we had to have them sitting right next to us to help us design the
0: tool. But your co-founder wasn't an accountant.
1: Oh, no. He was also a computer scientist. And so years later, maybe now 2012, we finally hired a few full-time accountants onto our team and we said, you know what, we're going to actually do the accounting and file the taxes for our customers. We are going to be an end-to-end full accounting software plus service. And so that was the start of why we hired accountants. And the benefit was that we got to see them do all the work from front to back and design a solution with them in mind instead of just calling someone who has their own practice
0: who doesn't work for us. The team is much bigger now. So tell me a little bit about the transition of what the business was like in 2012 and what the business is like today. I mean, what's changed?
1: Well, the business is at a lot bigger scale today. We have about 300 employees. We are you know, all over the US. We have served at companies such as Slack and Pinterest, among many other notable names. Mm-hmm. And so we just have a ton more experience on how to do this. And you know, we were structured for scale in a way that in the early days, we were just like cowboys in the desert trying to figure out what to do. And today we've shifted our product strategy too. At first, we were directly competing with QuickBooks. My thought was we could do a better job. so Let's just build our own complete mm-hmm. software yeah. solution that does the accounting, controls the general ledger, and provides the dashboarding. We sit on top of them. We see them as a partner, not a competitor.
0: How did you make that transition? What did you realize?
1: Well, we had a lot of customers saying, I really want to be on QuickBooks. We also were partnered with accounting firms, and their customers were already on QuickBooks. So the idea of porting them over from one software to another, it was just like so much burden and overhead that we evolved our strategy. And and also we had accountants in our company saying, hey, just like, you know, we haven't raised hundreds of millions of dollars in capital. We actually built this business fairly organically with a good amount of angel capital. And we got to watch every penny. into Intuit spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year on R&D. Let's let them do what they do best and not duplicate their efforts. And then we'll do other things that they don't do.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of names, how'd you come up with denaro
1: Yeah, I needed a name that was available, right? Quick
0: aside, if you want to learn more about buying domain names, we actually talked to one of the world's foremost domain name brokers on another episode of The Startup Stack. His name is Bill Sweetman, and he's great. Check out that interview when you're done with this one. It's in our feed.
1: But I mean, in dinero is just in money. Dinero is money in Spanish. And I just thought it was cute and we stuck with it. And I still love the name. I to do. This I day. love the
0: name. It's great. I mean, it's basically oh, a household name. Let's talk a little bit about kind of running your company today. Sure. I know you have offices all over the world at this point. You just said 300 people. What are some of the challenges with running the organization today, both at the scale you have with multiple offices, with COVID? Tell me about it.
1: We've had so many challenges along the way. I, I try to be super authentic about it because running a business is not easy, right? For us, I think our first big challenge when we first started the business, and this is widely shared about uh, if you just do a search for it our first business model just didn't work out. We were building a software that was a finance dashboard really targeted for sole proprietors. And a lot of them just weren't willing to pay for our solution. So we ran out of all the funding we had raised, about a million dollars and change, and started completely from scratch and bootstrapped the Indonero that we have today, which is full service accounting and tax solution for businesses. Uh, a few years into doing that, so probably 2015, 2016, we just scaled out way too quickly. I mean, I hired dozens and dozens of extra sales reps and accountants and people who just weren't cost-effective. We were just burning cash, and we were getting good top-line growth, but it was just so unprofitable, the type of growth we were getting. And my thought was, all right, if we just grow like this, we could go out, raise money to cover up those problems. I didn't consciously think about it that way, but I thought we'll just optimize the model and do a better job over time you know, it kind of dawned on me that I didn't want to run a business that way. So we had to do a decent-sized layoff. We probably laid off 40, 50 people at that point, got to profitability almost immediately, and it kind of taught me this lesson of really understanding the underlying, not just long-term profitability of hiring yeah. salespeople, but also what's the cash flow, right? Like, I got to eat my own dog food within an yeah. here where everyone talks about, this concept of a CAC to LTV ratio. And so for those who don't know, it's the cost of acquisition. How much does it cost you to acquire a customer relative to what's the lifetime value of a customer? And people say, oh, my CAC to LTV uh, ratio is whatever, 5X or 10X, meaning over the lifespan of a customer, you're going to make 5X more or 10X more than what you're paying and advertising your sales to get that customer. The problem is, what if the return, the payback period, just to offset your cost of acquisition, takes you a year to get there, or two years to get there, or three years to get there? Sure, you might have a good ratio, but you're just burning so much cash along the way. And that's what was happening to us. We thought we had a great, a great cac LTV ratio, and it was. It was just didn't work on a reasonable time frame.
0: And you're talking about laying off people, but getting the profitability, is that the moment because you must have been in a pretty dark place letting 50 people go but then you get to profitability was it there that you're like actually this business is going to work or or when did it finally click for you
1: yeah it's funny i'm not sure if it's ever fully clicked i first knew in 20 20- said like
0: said like a cl- classic entrepreneur just living in fear every day
1: pretty much but i mean back in 2012 i i knew i'd figure out the business model i i knew that we'd have bumps along the way but fundamentally The idea was sound. The concept was sound. Even if we made mistakes, it would still work out. And, you know, we've had our bumps along the road, but they're all adjustable problems. One thing, one of my mentors, Steve Blank, he taught at Berkeley. He taught at Stanford. And he wrote this amazing book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany. I highly recommend it. Uh, The Startup Owner's Manual is another book he more recently published, which talks about how to... Validate that you have a business that's actually solving a real need. You're not prematurely scaling your business, and he teaches that in his books. and uh, And with me, he always said, "Look, Jessica, the problems you have, you can you can fix them. They're retractable issues. It's not like you're dead or that's the end of the world." And I think as entrepreneurs, the big problem for us is that we have so much stress, so much fear about our businesses. We lose sight of what got us into it in the first place. You know, even for me during COVID, I had some people on my team I really didn't like. I thought they were really unpleasant to work with. Like pretty much every company, we decided to look at our team and look at right-sizing our costs. So I went through another exercise, I don't know, in April of this year. I revisited my commitment to have fun with my business. I started a business... Sure, because I wanted to help entrepreneurs and business owners with a problem. And I wanted to enjoy having a cool workplace. And I wasn't having fun, not because I didn't like the problem I was solving, but because I didn't like the people I was working with, or not all the people. And I think that's the other learning thing I I wish I thought more about along the way. I wish I had a strict zero tolerance, not only to Assholes. Everyone says they have a zero tolerance to asshole rule, but people don't take seriously a zero tolerance to people they don't like rule. It's so
0: mature and smart that you say that. You know, RocketPlace is my third company, but you know, as I transitioned from Ernest to RocketPlace, a lot of what I spent time thinking about was not about what company I was going to build, but how I was going to build it. You know, the types of things you're talking about, about who who do I want to work with and how do I want to operate with them every day? Because these are the people you're going to be spending practically all your time with. And so I I think it's really insightful.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the fact that you've done this three times over, it's cool how each time, I'm sure you're making fewer mistakes and you're not repeating and doing the same thing over again.
0: Yeah, I keep losing my job and having to start other companies to get a new job.
1: Oh my oh. God. That's so funny. It's cool. Cause like, as you're scaling up a business, you have a different job every mm-hmm. 12 to 18 months. I think I, I also try to put two hats on, right? I've got the entrepreneur hat, Jessica, who's working in the business. She is the CEO. And then I've got the investor owner hat where I try to say, okay, I'm trying to objectively evaluate how good of a job is Jessica doing as CEO, would I fire her? Would I promote her? Would I give her a raise? How good of a job is she actually doing? And so I've actually fired myself where I said, all right, well, if current Jessica is fired, I'd like try to recalibrate and think, okay, like, let's say now I was going to come in as the interim new CEO. What would I do differently that this... Jessica Moron, is uh, not doing. If you ask yourself that question, you actually come up with some really interesting insights and thoughts that are non-obvious.
0: <laughs> I love that idea about firing yourself. That's great. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about In Nero uh, specifically. Let's say there's a an entrepreneur out there and they're thinking about hiring a firm, what are the questions that they should, forget about Indonera for a second, just give advice to the entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. What are the questions that they should be looking at when they're thinking about you know, hiring an accountant, hiring a CFO, COO? What are, what are, should they work with a company like yours or maybe go find a full-time person? What should they be asking themselves?
1: I think they should ask, what are the flags of my business based on my financials that I might want to look out for? I think they should actually ask for advice on their business and see how a company like Indonero or whoever else can actually solve for that. And what you'll find is that some people, they're just number crutchers. They can't actually answer that question. Um, also say, hey, how do I compare to other companies in my industry or space? Because you want to work with a firm or a company that has a lot of other experience with similar companies so they could say, hey, other companies are performing better on X, Y, or Z metrics compared to you. And they have that perspective. Um, I think a lot of potential customers overweight cost as a factor. They might try to save some money, but it's just not worth it. There, you get so much more value out of investing and in having the right partner. And I think the same thing with lawyers or yeah. any other high-end service professional.
0: Can we do a little in-denaro 101 for a second? Because we're throwing out all these terms. We're, we ha- we're using accountant and bookkeeper and CFO. Are those all the same thing? Or what's the difference?
1: They're pretty different. So I think about it in a continuum, just like how in a law firm you've got, you're starting with the associate who might be fresh out of college, right? And then you got a partner and then you got a managing partner. I mean, with accounting, it's very similar where a bookkeeper, they don't have, they're not licensed per se. They're uh, number crunching. And so a bookkeeper or a staff accountant is like the lowest level Accountant. Then you've got accountant or perhaps controller. What's a controller? I think about controller as like a senior accountant. You could kind of say that's somewhat interchangeable. And they can provide more strategic value to your business. They're not just number crunching, they're actually looking at your business to figure out what are the gaps, what are the things that you need to think through. A CFO, a chief financial officer, they're the most senior And they're truly strategic. They can help you raise capital, think about your planning for your board meetings. They're going to help manage uh, your board and investor relations. They're going to help you think about your business model at a more fundamental, strategic level. Whereas a controller is still more thinking about things from a financial perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, every company needs all three in order to be successful. I'd say we don't see companies hiring a full-time CFO until they're at least 50, 80 employees. And is that really
0: the reason to work with a company like Indonero? Because as a young company, I can't really hire all these people all the way up through a CFO. But actually, some of the work I need is from a controller. Some of the advice I need is from someone who's got CFO experience. And now I can get some of that experience up and down the stack without having to go out and hire all those people.
1: That was exactly the intent of in to make it super easy to just slot it in n and then in would just give you exactly what you needed. And I'm seeing that firsthand. I've got a company I'm on the board of and they needed accounting help. And within basically three days, we got the whole accounting situation figured out and slotted in a contracting CFO. And it, it's just like so seamless. I, I I thought it'd be really tricky to do that when when I first started in Enero. I I was hiring a bookkeeper, then I was finding a part-time CFO, and then I was finding a tax person separately. And I had to manage all of these different relationships. You know, that complexity inspired me to try to simplify things
0: are there when you have a new client, are there big things that you're walking them through are there common pain points that practically all your new clients have?
1: One of the biggest pain points a lot of our our clients have is that they don't have a great financial model. They have a really weak unsophisticated cash flow model that doesn't take into consideration all the nuances of their business seasonality, all the forecasted hires they're going to bring in, they've just got something very basic. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the first thing that I I think everyone has to button up because that's what you're using is the basis for navigating your business. Every time I've had a weak financial model, even if it's just for a month or two, I, I make the wrong decisions as a CEO. Is that
0: one of the services that you provide? Because I can imagine you're saying that and maybe there are entrepreneurs out there that are like, oh my gosh, how do I even build a financial model?
1: Yeah, that we we do provide that when I first started in DeNero, we didn't, and I suffered greatly as an entrepreneur as a result. And then I thought, all right, I got to solve this for anaro and then we're going to offer it for our customers. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how everything within arrow it's really solving for a problem I've had as an entrepreneur. And now that we're growing, and we're you know we're working with pre-public or public companies, and we're you know moving into this more seasoned territory where we might. Even out and Arrow, I'm thinking, how do I solve for that? So it's cool to do all that.
0: I mean, I'm doing the exact same thing. A lot of a lot of entrepreneurs are solving the problems that they have as entrepreneurs. So I think it's really smart. Let's talk about the world. You know, we've got tons of interesting things going on. We've got COVID. I'm sure your business has changed with that, and and that's probably affected a lot of your clients. We're just post-election now. There's tons of conversations around Black Lives Matter and racial inclusion. What has been changing for you and your clients? and, And what are some things that you see changing into the future?
1: One of the biggest things I'm noticing, and this was kind of a trend before COVID, but especially because of COVID, a lot of companies are moving towards more extreme levels of outsourcing, I would say. What that means is before COVID, you think, okay, I might outsource my accounting. I might outsource my legal. Yeah. But now people are moving towards having variable workforces all around. So even with product managers, software engineers, marketing people, normally you think as a company, oh, I gotta hire for that expertise in hash.
0: Shameless Rocket Place plug. We help you find all of
1: those services. So well, exactly. You're solving exactly. a real problem. Like it's just ridiculous how it was just like frowned upon. To not have that, how much skill you have as a company. Oh, I have X employees. I have a full HR department. I have a full marketing department, right? Like a lot of people like to be able to see that for some reason, but it's just like not the direction I think the world is moving.
0: Yeah, I agree. I We got very comfortable from having outside services. Maybe it started with legal and then maybe it, as businesses like in dinero formed with accounting, etc. But yeah, we're seeing that more in HR. Certainly very common recruiting. Teams are constantly being supplemented in software dev and design. So maybe we could talk for a minute about small businesses in this environment. Are you seeing a real mix or what's been the trend with everything that's going on with the pandemic?
1: Well, we have... Many hundreds of customers who ended up getting the stimulus money from the government. We've also had a fair share of customers who have completely gone out of business. And what I've noticed is that most of our customers are not blue collar. They're not in hospitality or in restaurants or dining or, you know, the hotel or travel mm-hmm. business. So they've been fairly resilient through all of this. With that said, pretty much all across the board going remote getting rid of office spaces, and then also going into what I told you earlier on, extreme outsourcing. Yeah. Although everyone was really scared early on and we gave every customer a contingency planning. If you're one of our customers, you got to plan for an economic adjustment like one you've never seen yeah. before. Like who are people you're going to cut? What are the costs you're going to cut? And we had all of our customers go through a session with our team members to plan that out. And when was this? This was like March or... Or early April. Yeah, that's
0: amazing that you did that. I mean, so smart and so valuable.
1: It was super valuable, and even though a lot of them didn't necessarily need to follow through with it, a lot of them did anyway because that was what it, the planning and the exercise of it made made these companies think: what's truly critical for my business?
0: Did you get pushback from some of those businesses that like this sounds really extreme?
1: Oh no, people were scared. Yeah, so there was no pushback. Uh, it was more, you know, gratitude. And I think now we're gonna see companies going through that habit of having that contingency planning all the time. It's more like disaster readiness. And I think a lot of us were just kind of resting on our laurels or just planning for growth, but we weren't disaster ready before COVID because the last downturn, I mean, this was 0809 yeah. that we really suffered. It's been a I long time. do you time. have
0: a prediction for growth in 2021? For in denaro <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, the, the economy generally. I mean,
0: you're touching so many of these businesses.
1: I'm pretty optimistic. I'm, I'm super, super optimistic. The vaccine's going to come out, and I think we're going to be okay. All the white-collar businesses we service are doing fairly well. Um, some have had to make minor adjustments, but I, I think all of them are going to c- come out doing fantastically yeah. well.
0: So one of my last questions, if you could go back to when you were first starting in denaro right out of college, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I would give myself the advice that even though I'm going to make tons of mistakes and hate myself for every mistake I make, and I'm going to be super stressed out and worry about my viability as a business owner, it would all be okay. It would all work itself out. And there was nothing I needed to be truly, truly, truly like losing sleep, stressed out about. And to really treat business more as a game to be played and to be enjoyed. I think I I was way too goal-oriented as a business owner. And I was no longer in the present and in flow state doing what I do as an entrepreneur. I lost sight of that. And I put everything on a report card, right? Yeah. I think having investors doesn't help that because you want to make your investors happy. I've raised... $30 $30 million for investors now. And, uh, and so when they ask, how are you performing? How are you doing? Of course, you're thinking about what is going to be a satisfactory answer. But I think ultimately, if you're having fun and treating it as a game, you're going to get better results uh, no matter what.
0: I love that. I often, too, think about entrepreneurship a bit as you know, with a sports analogy as a game. And, you know, when you're on the field, you want to be trying your hardest. But that doesn't mean that whether, you know, you get beat on a play or you lose a game, it's not the end of the world. You got to think about what you did wrong and play a good game the next day or the next time. Jess, this was awesome. Thank you so much for the time today. It's So great reconnecting. I really appreciate you being on the startup stack. Thank you.
1: Uh thank you so much. This has been super fun. For more on our conversation today,
0: visit www.rocketplace.com/podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to The Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you
1: next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.